Good morning. This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. Good morning, 9.15 a.m. Daylight, what is it, Central Daylight Time. It is April the 3rd. 2019. This is episode 80 of Bitcoin. And as I promised on Monday, we're going to get back into biochar. We're going to go a little bit deeper into just the biochar stuff. Uh, Friday, I don't know if I'm going to do more biochar stuff or get into the gasification. And it's a because this thing is a this thing is a rabbit hole all by itself too. The more I read, uh, I was like doing some uh, prep, was getting some of my materials together this morning, and I'm reading some of these these things that that I'm I'm gonna express to you today. It's just fascinating. I mean, I've, now it's a little bit easier for me to read this kind of stuff, um, because I have a background of trained as a as a scientist in molecular biology. And so I got a whole bunch of biochemistry, chemistry, molecular biology, cell biology, all that kind of crap. Uh, so some of the stuff that I'm reading, I, 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 it's not anything that I can just like, you know, read straight from like when I do news or anything like that. Um, but it is absolutely, it's just a fascinating world. And what this stuff does to soil is just absolutely stunning. Uh, so that, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this stuff all week long, because it's a huge topic. And it's in, even if I do the, you know, this whole week, I'm still just, I'm still just scratching the surface. So we are going to talk about that. We'll do a morning roundup here in a minute. We're going to do vitals because I forgot to do vitals on Monday. Clearly things have changed. That seems fairly clear. God only knows how long this run's going to last. Uh, we needed we needed something. I mean, even if it goes even if it goes back down, the big green dildo is always going to be forever printed on these charts, and we can look back on it and and laugh and have a good time. We're having a good time right now. I think it's okay to just take a breath and relax a little bit, even if okay, even if it goes back down. Take a moment and just have a good time with this shit. Okay. Have a good time with a great, great big green dildo. You know, don't get all sappy and start worrying about the next fall because it's just after a while, your, your mental state just becomes freaking wrecked. Okay. So it's, I think you have my permission to have a good time with this, to have fun, to feel good to go outside in the sunshine and go, thank you, God, or whatever it is that you pray to. All right. So we'll uh, do the vitals. We'll do Marty's bent, uh, torchlight, daily train wrecked, and the, as usual, the terrible joke corner. Let's start with, um, let's start with the morning roundup. And the first thing I'm going to talk about is something called uh, better tweet deck. It is an extension that I found and I got a, Give a shout out to uh, Bass over here at, uh, let's see, make sure that I get his name and and, uh, Twitter handle right. Bass Peters at B-A-S underscore zero two. I was, uh, I I might talk about uh, Bass a little bit later in the show during Torchlight, but I I was, he he had direct DM'd me in Twitter and uh, we were having a discussion, and I said something about not having emojis in my tweet deck. And he said, oh, dude, there's an extension for that. And I'm like, oh, God, you know, why the hell I ask questions and not Google is beyond me. You know, I mean, ugh, really, 
guys, I should be slapped in the head sometimes. Um, so I, I said, okay, well, so I, you know, Googled emoji, um, tweet deck and Chrome extension. And I came, the first thing up in my list was something called better tweet deck. And yeah, it gave me emojis, but oh my God, it gave me so much more. Holy crap. It, I mean, it's like putting a turbocharger on tweet deck. If you were, if you're a tweet deck user and you are trying to figure out a way to have more columns, get better tweet deck because you can collapse your columns that by itself is amazing because when you collapse the column, all it does is just turn the label of your column sideways. You can't see anything in it, but it gives you a plus sign that you can expand your column. And then there's when your column is expanded so you can see all the tweets and whatever column you've got at the top of that, it's got a minus sign. So you can quickly change between a fully open column and then a closed column. So that way, I mean, what would normally take up, oh, I guess like a screen, a screen and a half of uh, my monitors. And I've got your, your standard, um, uh, was it 16, 16 by nine ratio? Um, I, I, you know, now I can collapse all those and it only takes up like a quarter of my screen. It's amazing. So, uh, Better Tweet Deck can be found at better.tw. Uh, and it's it's you know it's it's free and it works really well. I've been I've been playing around with it all damn day yesterday and then this morning, and I haven't seen it falter or screw anything up like at all. So if you're a Tweet Deck user and you want to get more out of it, go give it a shot, man. I I I can tell you that I highly recommend it. Um, on up in the stack, Murad has even flipped. <laughs> what a time to be alive, man. When Murad starts saying stuff like it's invalidated, um, you know that, that we got a, a great big green dildo. What am I talking about? Well, uh, Curious Panda tweeted out uh, directly to Must Stop Murad, <clears throat> which is Murad's uh, Twitter account. I've been tracing your long-term model for months now. It's been severely stretched at the moment. Still confident in it? Are we seeing an even greater elongation than what you expected? And Murad just writes back, it's invalidated. So his mo- he, Murad's saying that his, his model that he's been using on, and Murad's like our favorite bear, like ever, right? He's the only bear that we give a shit about. Um, <clears throat> all the rest of them, I hope they end up on a grill uh, getting cooked for dinner to tell you the truth. And the amount of wreckage that I saw coming across BitMEX wrecked over the last couple of days is like, it looks like bear is on the menu, brother. But Murad is our favorite bear. And even he's saying that his model that he's been working on is invalidated. Does that mean that he's turned bullish? No, probably not. Murad's Murad. But at least, you know, it, it, the, it's, it sort of validates the green candle as being a lot, you know, high enough that, it kind of broke the model that, that Murad was working off of. So in a way that's good news all the way around, in my opinion, uh, on up in the stack, I came across something really interesting. And this was, uh, I got to give a hat tip to at coin alchemist and that's C the number zero I N A L C H E M I S T human readable quick response code. So this is like a QR code, but it's, um, human readable and, and I'm going to put human readable inside of quotes. Okay. Because it's hard to read because essentially it's a QR code, except that you can actually write, uh, construct the QR code that you get back by writing in a sentence. Um, and yeah, it's interesting. I, I, of course, the very first thing that, that I put up in, like uh, in the human readable quick response code, I made one out of the sentence, Craig Wright is a fraud, of course, because that has to be done. And then it returns a QR code that if you work real hard, you can see where, you know, what's being, what's being written. But like I said, human readable is in air quotes over here. It's difficult to read. Uh, 
but it is it is interesting. It is an interesting thing. So you can find human readable uh, QR, or I'm sorry, you can find all of that stuff at hrqr.org. Be aware that website is not secure. It is not HTTPS. It is just HTTP. So it's not, it's going, your browser's probably going to return a nasty gram to you saying you're going to die. Um, near as I can tell, I don't have anything wrong with my, uh, with my system. So I don't think I got a, a virus, but do be aware it is a not, it is not a secure site. Uh, on up, uh, CBOE halts Bitcoin futures trading. Well, duh. <laughs> I think it's funny though because it was like the day it was the day before um, the uh, great big uh, red or a uh, green candle. <laughs> it's like it's like they ceased and just said, um, um, you know. Sorry, I got a little distracted there. Uh, and the reason I got distracted is because I wanted to make sure that this wasn't an April Fool's joke. So because I, I I forgot to make sure that I've got like more than one source on this thing. Um, and and there is there's there's lots of sources on this. It just happened to be that this came out April 1st. And uh, anything you read on the Internet on April 1st is really suspect. OK, so anyway, uh, this is by Mary Driscoll. Um, and this is at ethnews.com, April 1st. The first US, U.S. exchange to offer Bitcoin futures has a change of heart. In a move that caught investors by surprise, CBOE Global Markets has announced it does not plan to list additional Bitcoin futures contracts for trading. XBT is the trading symbol that CBOE has used for its BTC contracts. The exchange did say that it's currently listed XBT futures contracts will remain available for trading. These contracts expire monthly and the exchange must continue to list new ones to ensure that trading continues. Now the CBOE market for BTC futures will sputter out once the last contract expires in June. Okay, so last contract in June, people. Traders use future contracts to bet on an asset's price move up or down. Ugh. Corporate cash managers supervising the transfer of balances denominated in foreign currencies among global subsidiaries often turn to futures contracts to hedge their risk and lock in prices that are critical for business activities. Futures allow sellers of the underlying commodities to know with certainty the price they will receive for their products at the market. At the same time, it will enable consumers or buyers of those underlying commodities to know with certainty the price they will pay at a defined time in the future. The Chicago-based CBOE unveiled Bitcoin futures on December the 10th, 2017, when BTC prices were in ast at astronomical heights. One BTC, one BTC was worth almost $17,000 U.S. Crosstown rival CME Group introduced its own version of BTC futures a week after CBOE made its move. Reacting to CBOE's XBT trading suspension, the Wall Street Journal observed, quote, trading volumes in CBOE's Bitcoin futures have lagged behind those of its larger crosstown rival CME group. On Thursday, the last trading day before CBOE's announcement came out, close to $90 million worth of CME's Bitcoin futures changed hands compared with around $8 million worth of CBOE's contracts, according to data from the two companies. Note, too, that CBOE has estimated that 30% of its XBT trading activity originates from overseas. When Bitcoin, or I'm sorry, when BTC futures were first launched, market participants believed that services and products designed for institutional investors were on the drawing boards. The hope was that institutional involvement would lead to a steady expansion of daily trading volumes. Volume is a measure of how much of a given financial asset has been traded in a given period of time or how many times the asset has been bought or sold over a particular span. Traders tend to react enthusiastically to rising volumes and they tend to clear out when volume is dropping. Buyers require increasing numbers and increasing enthusiasm in order to keep pushing prices higher. Increasing price and decreasing volume show lack of interest. And this is a warning of potential reversal. A price drop or a rise on little volume is not a strong signal. Alas, there has been no parade of institutional cryptocurrency derivatives. 
Overall, the hopes for lively BTC trading volume have dimmed. <clears throat> oh, what a difference 24 hours makes. The Wall Street Journal's views on what spoiled the path were echoed by a number of sources. The mind-spinning dive of BTC prices last year, regulatory uncertainty, and the stream of negative headlines surrounding hacks and thefts in the cryptocurrency arena. Highly regulated Wall Street financial institutions are apt to steer clear of signs of malfeasance. Yes, yes, the irony in that. <laughs> Rest in peace, XBT. And that's going to do it for Mary's Mary's article on the untimely demise of the XBT futures trading contract from the Chicago Board of Exchange. So, <clears throat> I like this last bit. Um Mind-spinning dive in BTC, regulatory uncertainty, stream of negative headlines. Well, welcome to Bitcoin. Jeez, this has been going on forever. All right, never mind. We'll go ahead and get on up into the stack. Um, let's see, where are we at? Oh, uh, I'm going to save that for a little bit later. Uh, Jay, uh, Jay Ratcliffe has an, uh, two tweets in a row that I wanted to just, you know, give out to you because he's got a really good point here. He says, and this is at J R A T C L I F F J Ratcliffe. I don't know if Bitcoin is going back on a bull run yet, or this is just a short term bull trap. What I do know is the next time Bitcoin goes on a major bull run, it will be substantially different due to the fact that those who still have Bitcoin, they could sell won't sell. What I'm getting at here is that the bear market transformed who owns Bitcoin. Anyone easily scared off or disillusioned already sold. The only ones left have a long-term hodl mentality. There will be some selling as people hit quote-unquote break-even, but most now are in it for the long haul. And I think that that's, I think we can kind of look at that as a fairly significant point. I think he's right. Otherwise, I wouldn't be talking about it. Um, I I do think that the amount of shakeout, I mean, it's it's been a really long bear market. It's been a very brutal bear market and long bear market. And I think most of the people, they just got, you know, most of the people that didn't have their heart in it got shook out of the tree. And I think anybody who's left clinging to, to branches, um, I think, I'm not going to say we're, you know, clearly we're not safe. Nobody's safe ever. You can't walk across the street without the possibility of getting run over by a truck. That said, there, those who have sold off, like those who have sold off have probably already sold off. And the only thing left are a bunch of whales swimming around that are going to be like, you know, there, there's rumor that, you know, what the, the great big green candle that we saw yesterday was because a whale market bought $100 million worth of BTC. Is that true? I don't know. I wasn't there. But it is being reported. Um, so at least, we're, at least we're just back with swimming with whales instead of a whole bunch of people who don't really know what the hell's going on. And just expect this to make them, you know, this whole thing to just make them rich so they can walk away inside of a year. The short time horizon people have been shaken out of the tree. Next up in the stack from archive.fo, Bitcoin surges 15% overnight because nobody learned their lesson after the last crash. A nice little piece by Matt Novak from Gizmodo. Okay, why did I go to archive.fo? Because the this thing is ludicrous and is wrong and uh, we all know it's wrong so people clamored you know very quickly to make sure that this piece of garbage was forever framed in the hall of shame let's see what matt novak is spewing as of yes or was yesterday bitcoin the most popular cryptocurrency in the world jumped to a four-month high overnight Briefly breaching the 5,000 mark on the Bitstamp exchange, Bitcoin is up roughly 15% on the day, and traders are excited because it really seems like nobody learned their lesson during the last cryptocurrency bubble. Uh, as CNBC notes, oh my God, why are you listening? <laughs> 
take taking information from CNBC is like scrounging for food scraps in a dumpster behind a restaurant. As CNBC notes, the reason for the sudden price jump wasn't immediately clear, and it would all be pretty funny if it wasn't so sad. Bitcoin hit a record high of 19783 in December of 2017 after months of hype in the popular press. Plenty of people got in when cryptocurrency was expensive and smart people cashed out, leaving average folks with huge losses. Yeah, well, welcome to Bitcoin, dude. By December of 2018, Bitcoin had bottomed out at about 3400 but it looks like speculators might ride the roller coaster again. To be clear, Bitcoin is absolutely worthless by any real measure. It's fake money that's about as practical to use in the real world as monopoly bills. Bitcoin is backed by nothing and requires tremendous amounts of energy to mine using computers. Just God, just in that one sentence is the contradiction. It... That one sentence, Bitcoin is backed by nothing and requires tremendous amount of energy. It's the freaking energy that backs Bitcoin. That's the security. As it becomes more difficult to mine, it saps more and more energy. By God, Matt, this has been debunked causing millions of tons of carbon dioxide to be pumped into the atmosphere and accelerating climate change. Bitcoin is little more than a speculator's death cult at this point. Oh, what? The, uh, I can't go on with this. I just can't. It's that bad. That's why it's an archive so that we can look back at this and laugh our ass off. Now I've got a link to that archived thing uh, in my show note or in uh, my morning roundup, which uh, is a curated Twitter timeline that I keep and I use it to set up the show. Um, you can get to that so that you can look at, if you want to look close, closer at anything that I've been talking about today, you can go to that. It's in the show notes. Uh, it's a link and it's called, you know, it's, it's called morning roundup. So it's in the notes. You can go get it and, and you can look at this, stupid article yourself, uh, uh, going to something that's much more, much more important and much more humorous and not so freaking morbid is Novak, Rodolfo Novak of cold card and open dime fame. Uh, he says some folks ask us to mark where exactly they should drill, shoot, destroy their cold card wallet for permanent disposal. A visual aid was added. <laughs> and he's got two. He's got a a picture of a cold card, and it's you know cold, as is the the art you know the design and architecture of all of Novak stuff. The circuit board is is visible. It's not in plastic. It's it's there for all to see. That's part of the security, but it's also part of the minimalism that Novak seems to reach for in these kinds of things. Anyway, so on the circuit board, printed on the circuit board, which means that as this thing is is produced and the the all the you know resistors and capacitors and microchips as they're all like actually being print you know put onto this printed circuit board there is a word or an arrow pointing to a particular microchip and next to that arrow it says shoot this <laughs> so apparently if you want to make sure that nobody ever is able to crack this thing for and you're trying to dispose of it for whatever reason you're trying to dispose of it for you get your Glock 9 and you shoot exactly where this thing says, and that card is destroyed forever without any possibility of anybody ever getting anything off of it again. And I just love the way Novak injects humor into these serious things. He's a funny guy, man. And, you know, if if you're not following him, it's at NVK. And I, I highly recommend you give this dude a, a follow on Twitter because when he does tweet, it's usually pretty funny. Um, okay, so that's going to do it for your morning roundup. We're going to get into uh, vital statistics because I forgot last Monday.
Morning Roundup, as usual, is brought to you by BitInfoCharts.com. Bitcoin is at an average price of 5015 with a high at uh, Bitfinex of 5051 and a low, looks like it's going to be over there at HitBTC at 4966 364,000 transactions were made over the last 24 hours with an average transaction number per hour of 15,179. Sent over the last 24, those 24 hours was 1.79 million BTC. Average per hour of BTC sent is 75,000. Average transaction value was 5 BTC and the median transaction value is back up in 0.062 BTC or right around 300 bucks. Uh, block time is stable where it should be at about nine minutes, 57 seconds. And it looks like point zero point eight nine BTC are being taken for fees every block. And a total number of BTC taken over the last 24 hours is 128.39 BTC. So, yeah, there's a you know there's a lot of a lot of stuff going on the network uh, that seems fairly clear. The hash rate has increased by almost eleven percent to forty eight exahashes per second. Uh, I'd like to see it top fifty again. That would be awesome. The last GitHub commit was yesterday, April the second, twenty nineteen. From left to right, Ethereum is at 169. Litecoin is at 87. My God. Uh, Bcash is at 282. BSV is at 87. Ethereum Classic is at five and three quarters. And Dogecoin pumped. Why? Probably because everything else pumped. Oh, and also Elon Musk declared himself CEO of Dogecoin and then promptly retired. That was on his Twitter account. So... Yes, Elon Musk talked about Doge. Now, let me a few words about Doge. It's the only shit coin I like. Is it, do I like it because it has value? No. Do I like it because I transact with it all the time? No. I like it because it was a joke coin that turned real. Think of Pinocchio at this point. The little wooden toy boy that wanted to be a real boy finally became a real boy And the whole point of Dogecoin was sort of making fun of Bitcoin. And all of a sudden, that joke got out of control and turned into a real coin. Again, I ain't saying buy it. I'm not saying anything else about it other than, yes, I do have a bag of Doge. That's why I can't be a Bitcoin maximalist. I can only be a shitcoin minimalist because I have a bag of Doge. But out of all the shitcoins... Dogecoin is my favorite because it's funny. It did something completely unexpected, and now it's pumped to 0.0034. And at 34,859 transactions over the last 24 hours, it is still ahead of Bcash and still ahead of BSV, although the combined, actually it's, Neck and if you add those uh, two transactions uh, over the last 24 hours of, of Bcash and BSV, you get right around the same amount of transactions of Dogecoin alone. It's remember, Dogecoin's a joke coin. Bcash and BSV are supposed to be quote unquote serious, and they still together, they still cannot really surpass a joke coin such as Doge. Anyway. That is going to do it for vital statistics for the day. And normally you would hear some bumper music, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and uh, play this play this song from a band uh, that I've never heard of before in my life, but it's punk rock, and I actually kind of do like punk rock. I thought punk was dead. It's not. That's totally cool, but it's dr- been driven so underground that I haven't heard anything new other, you know, anything new in like forever in a day. So here it is. And the band's name, Propagandi.
Let's have a drink Back when the wall and the girl Drank her father and wrote Letters of apology to all of those Families of the men Who could that you vote Hunted to this Defined by long night on the coast Lie you rival Crack that I came back from my death Transformed into a damaged end by the man Never spoke on the biochar more more biochar um i talked about it at length along with a little bit at <clears throat> of gasification and the, the the way that you make biochar and we're going to do uh, more gasification because in it the the production of biochar is very interesting especially with its the stuff that it off gases um <clears throat> because it, it makes other kinds of products in the process of doing biochar. And the whole, one of the whole things in the permaculture ethos is how to make a waste stream that, or how to make a stream, an output of some system, not look at it as waste. All systems have some output, whether it's a byproduct, a main product, or something that we could conclude as waste if we re or you know orient how we think about waste maybe the waste isn't really anything other than a byproduct so the byproducts of the production of biochar uh, are really valuable really interesting a completely untapped market in my opinion but we're going to start with the end product of that process biochar um now <sighs> It's not like somebody was just, you know, laying around one day eating an apple in a hammock and say, you know, I think I'm going to throw charcoal into soil because that sounds like a really good freaking idea. No, no, no. As far as humans go, it's we're, we're a species that is built upon observation and replication. We observe something in nature we identify we try we seek to identify what it the the components of what we're observing in nature and then we try to replicate that and that's a really good trait in human beings it can get us in a lot of trouble and and certainly it has over the past but for the most part it's it's interesting and that's where uh biochar actually came from so how long ago are we talking about thousands of years so let's let's get in into into this. Um, we didn't start as a in modern times, like right now, you know, in the last twenty years. Uh, we we've only really started talking about making biochar, figuring out exactly you know how to do it. Uh, whereas it had been done centuries ago, uh, but it's it was one of those things that we 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 lost over the last couple of centuries and we're just now rediscovering it. And one of the things that prompted the rediscovery of biochar and the production of biochar is something called terra preta soils. Now, terra preta are really, really rich, high fertility soils that are just black, way black. 
and the, and they're and the thing about it is is that they're usually found there or where they were first discovered is in the Amazon basin and they're in sort of in patches right in now one of, one of the things that, about the Amazon basin that's really interesting considering that it's a rainforest you would think those soils would be have a really high fertility they don't over the you know, formation, the millions of years that the earth has been forming, that particular e- ecosystem has basically evolved to re- basically reclaim every single piece of organic material that comes off the tree and is almost immediately recycled into nutrients, which is almost immediately recycled back into the trees. And it's so fast that the soil itself is actually infertile because the spe- the rapidity or the speed at which this cycling and this turnover of nutrients occurs doesn't leave anything left in the soil because it's so fine-tuned so when early early you know humans uh started getting into agriculture across the world and especially in the amazon basin it was really hard to grow stuff and somehow and i'm not going to conjecture how but somehow these people started looking at places where there might have been richer soil, maybe they noticed the color was more black. Well, it's a, you know, it's a fire-bearing, you know, fire-bearing people at this point, and they're going to go, hey, that charcoal's black. Maybe if we shove the charcoal in there. So, again, that's pure theory. That's just conjecture. I, nobody really knows exactly how they discovered it, but they did, and that's the important part. So what happened is they would do a couple of things. They would slash and they would slash and make charcoal instead of slash and burn to ash. They would slash like all this undergrowth they could get their hands on. They throw it into a pile and then burn it. But because there was still moisture in the vegetation and because it was in a great big pile, it didn't burn completely. It turned into, you know, basically charcoal. And then they used that to plow into their fields or sprinkle over their fields. And I mean, they probably sprinkling probably doesn't do it justice. They were probably wheelbarrowing this stuff into the fields by the pound. Right. And, but one, one of the interesting things was, is where this, um, where these pits, and this is one of the first places that they discovered this, there were these pits of really dark, dark terra preta soils. And they were in the middle of a field and the surrounding soil was just colorless like orange or yellow or you know like the sandy tan color and then all of a sudden there'd be this this barrier or this uh, uh border between it and the terra preta soils and you get into deep rich black friable moisture laden soil and it looks like as far as we can tell it was deliberate that they would dig a pit, they would throw the slash into the pit along with broken pottery. They're, they found pot shards in there, lots of them. I'm thinking maybe it helped get a little bit of oxygen into the center of the pile as they burned it. Um, that's the only reason I could figure out because they didn't really find anything other than charcoal and pottery, which bizarre, right? In either event... Um, they found, and these things are deep people. We're talking like way deep down about, you know, maybe six foot down. So I think there's a couple of pits that are like 10 foot down, but, um, these things were done as far as we can tell with carbon dating, these things were started about 9,000 years before present. That means starting at, uh, years before present. I, I just learned this this morning when I was setting this up. It's not, you know, B.C. or, you know, A.D. and all that that kind of stuff that, that the archaeologists usually use this thing called YBP or years before present. And they selected January 1st, 1950 as that demarcation line when they're doing uh, carbon dating. And the reason they chose 1950 is that that was sort of the invention of carbon dating. Makes sense. Anyway, so they carbon dated this stuff to 9,000 years before 1950. So a long freaking time ago, they were doing this stuff. And um, the, um, the these pits, what's really weird about these things, they've been around for so long, 
that there's this theory that the pits weren't actually as big when, when, when they were dug out and the, the amount of mass was put in and it was set on fire that, um, that pit was much smaller than what we found. Now it looks like what what that sounds like is this sort of genesis, this self-replicating mass of carbon starts spreading out through the soil and making more carbon. Nobody knows why this is occurring. It is occurring, but we don't know how. And there's there's other archaeological evidence. That, that says, no, 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 this was the actual, you know, the original diameter of the pit, but the Terra Preta has spread like way outside those boundaries. So it, it, and it wasn't put there. It was generated from the pit. So more carbon became, or more charcoal was added to the ground without any help whatsoever. And it seems like magic, right? Well, what I'm, and, and again, this is pure conjecture from somebody who has not been to a pit. All right. I haven't seen it myself, but, but as much as I've read about it, I feel comfortable in saying that it would seem to suggest that there is so much biological activity. Uh, like I said on Monday, these things is like, a, like throwing down an apartment complex for critters. And because they are protected from being, you know, being, uh, predated on, they can just reproduce and reproduce and reproduce. And it looks to me that their reproduction was outstripping the mortality rate and they would just die of natural causes. And there was so much reproduction because there was the charcoal in the ground provided not just protection, but a way to hold moisture, a way to hold different cations uh, and like, you know, nitrogen and phosphorus and all the like, little metal salts and stuff. And it was just like, it would be like living under the banquet table on a cruise ship, food all the time. And the more they reproduced and the more they died, the more carbon was actually put into the soil from the skeletons of the dead soil critters over thousands and thousands and thousands of years. So once it's like a chain, re you can think of it as a chain reaction. Once you put this shit in the soil, you'll, you, you will probably not live to see this, this kind of effect. But once this shit is in the soil and there's enough of it to start the chain reaction, that soil will forever be fertile. So Terra Preta is where we discovered this stuff. And so, you know, they're looking at this black soil and it became clear very quickly under study, under microscopes and gas chromatograph, other types of chemical analysis that indeed the black stuff in the soil was mostly carbon. Okay. Now we kick off into the production or not the production of biochar. We're going to talk about that, you know, like Friday, but, um, the, the the modern day realization that we have been we've been making charcoal forever biochar is different and it's it is everything to do with a longer burn time and a higher temperature okay the, that that whole pyrolysis thing so once we figured this out that the bio, you know the, this carbon in the soil is so good for the soil we started making it ourselves and we discovered very quickly that we needed to do it in a different way than we do with making charcoal um so biochar comes out and it's structurally similar to the terra preta carbon but it's different enough that you know in in, in my conjecture on this is that the Indians or the, the uh, sorry, not Indians, the, the native peoples of Brazil uh, or the Amazon basin, because Brazil wasn't a thing when this was being done, were, they just weren't, they didn't have the technology to get the temperatures high enough. So the molecular structure of the carbon is a little bit different in the terra preta soils than you could, if you, than you would get in a, a bag of, of purchased biochar. <clears throat> One of the thing, and and that's enough about the difference. But just to, just to note that they are slightly different. But what, one of the things that I was saying about pore sizing uh, or the pore sizes in biochar because of the pyrolysis effect um, that it creates these spaces. Now those spaces, like the the walls 
of these pores are actually like this, the, the, the charred remains of the cell walls and everything that didn't burn off in the cells themselves sort of just kind of went away. And the, so the structure that you see is sort of the structure that you would have seen in the wood because the wood itself, if you look at the cellular level, it looks like a, but it's, well, it's a bunch of cells. That's the reason we have that name is that when early scientists finally got a hold of a microscope that was powerful enough to see that far down, it was like, my God, they look like little cells, like prisoner cells or monk cells or like cells in a, you know, a, a hospital or something like that. And because that's what shit was called back then. And that's why they called them cells. Well, here, what's interesting is that the pore size that would be there if it was just, you know, left to dry out, under pyrolysis, those cell sizes actually increase by about a, a factor of a thousand. So it's a thousand X increase in the diameter, like, like the pore space. So think of like a thousand X increase in the diameter of the cell, di- of the original cell diameter. So again, these make these little pore spaces, they make a part, it's like putting a, a huge apartment complex into the soil and all these little soil critters can get into those cells. And what's interesting about those cells is that amazingly enough, predators have a tendency to be larger than the thing they predate. That is generally true. It is it's actually not all that common in any in any ecological system for a predator to be smaller than the prey that the predator hunts. These pore sizes just happen to be big enough to fit in stuff like mycorrhiza, bacteria, and all kinds of other critters but the predators of those critters are too big to get into the cells, which means that once, once these things are colonized with the, the small soil critters, they sit there and they just have sex. They, and they, and every time they do when they're, as they're reproducing, they're just as and if there's no more room in the cell, then the back is, it's almost like if the apartment complex is full and all the families keep having babies it's just like a flood of little critters just exuding out of this soil or out of this, out of this carbon. Right. So in these soils that have terra preta put in them or the terra preta soils or biochar. Okay. It's like there's a slight bit of difference there, but still it doesn't matter either one. If you look certain techniques are available to, to identify different species from each other. If you were to take a sample of the species in soil with a bunch of carbon in it, especially the biochar, you get 25% more species diversity in the soils with the carbon than without. And one of the things about nature is the more diversity, the lower your instances of disease and pests. Why? Because there's, enough diversity there that it would keep in balance of having predators and prey. And that, as it exists in balance, all it does, all that system, the predator prey system, all it does is end up cycling nutrients. If it gets out of balance and there's more prey than predator, some of that prey can go prey on your plants or, you know, whatever it is that you're growing in your soil. So the more diversity, the better. And this thing kicks off diversity in the soil like nothing else. Because in the soils they found in the Amazon basin, when they did, when they did the study, they took basically like soil from the, from the pit of the Terra Preta and then soil from, you know, like a you know, couple of hundred yards away that didn't have the, the amount of carbon in it, did the assays and came up with a massive, massive amount of diversity of microorganisms in the carbon. And and like I said, that is always good. You want that. And you can't get that unless you give these critters a place to live. So if you've got shitty soil, the best thing that you can do is either somehow or another incorporate soil into your flower beds or your garden beds or just 
throw it over your lawn if all you give a shit about is is a lawn and over time over the, like you know if you apply it every spring as it rains and as the 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 critters that are in the soil they will find that stuff and eventually it will sink down into the ground so you don't really have to you know do a whole lot of application for it for a lawn just spread it on like you were going to spread on fertilizer um but the what's interesting here, and this is going to be the last thing that I say about uh, biochar. Um, I'm going to see, first of all, I'm going to see if I can find some links as to where to buy it. Um, it's usually fairly cheap. It should be fairly cheap to ship. Um, so I'll, I'll see about getting a link, maybe that find a, an Amazon link or something like that for you guys um, to try it in your own soil. Because it's, I mean, there, the other great thing about this is it can't hurt anything. It either is going to work for you and work well and you're going to notice or it's not going to do anything and you're not going to notice anything. And you just don't buy it again. But one thing that it won't do is kill anything. So you don't have to even worry about that. All it can do is be a benefit. So um, what one of the, the last thing that I'm going to leave you with on this about the species diversity is that an exp- experiments were done on differential temperatures in the pyrolysis process when you're making biochar. And um, it it wasn't just temperature. It's also the species of the feedstock that you use, like oak versus like ash wood or, you know, walnut versus like something else. The temperature, the lower the temperature that you make it, the less diversity you have. And that's been done. That was actually assayed directly in the field in the Amazon basin, and and some other places where um, uh, biodiversity assays were done. So the the theory here is that the higher the temperature, the larger the pore size. And the different species, like I, I suppose that if you have a species of wood that starts out with itty, 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 bitty, tiny cell sizes that maybe even under full expansion, under the highest temperature pyrolysis that you can get, that it's still not quite big enough for the little soil critters that are beneficial to fit into. Whereas something like, you know, a, a lighter density wood would have larger pore sizes to begin with then you expand that a thousand times. And then maybe at that point, a lower temperature pyrolysis would be able to have as much diversity as a higher temperature pyrolysis of a feedstock starting with a smaller pore size. You kind of get what I'm saying there. So it's not just temperature. It's it's the species of the feedstock that you start with. But in either event, I find it really interesting that you, that it is possible that were that in theory it would be possible knowing that, knowing what we know about that that you would be able to make biochar that would preferentially want or preferentially be colonized by a certain subset of soil critters and not others because one of the other effects of a low temperature pyrolysis is that the carbon structure is just different enough that some of that carbon can be directly harvested as a carbon source by the soil critters. So they kind of eat it. And if there is a species that is more apt to be able to get something out of eating that, then they are preferentially invited to the dinner table. You see what I mean? So they'll get more out of it. So they'll reproduce more. And the more they reproduce, the more their population offsets other populations that would not be able to, you know, get that carbon from, from the carbon source of the biochar. So, but one thing is, is for certain, the higher the temperature of the biochar that you make is sort of basically means that the less and less likely it's going to be cannibalized by the soil uh, critters. And the lower the temperature of the pyrolysis uh, biochar, the more it's going to be converted into CO2 because it gets eaten and actually utilized in the biological system. I I would recommend higher, the highest temperature biochar you can get. The 
chances of being able to know what temperature your biochar is is probably freaking minimal because there's not a whole lot of people that manufacture this stuff. So I am going to end it there and I am going to try to get a couple of links into the show notes of where to buy it, but that's going to do it for biochar. When we come back to biochar, we're going to be doing the production of biochar and the byproducts of the production of biochar, which are fascinating. Marty's Bent is for Monday, April 1st, 2019, issue number 452. Is Bitcoin, dare I say, back? No, silly. It's been here the whole time, chugging along, enabling censorship-resistant distributed transactions for anyone with access to the software, producing blocks roughly every 10 minutes, adjusting its difficulty, target, every 216 blocks and being there for you when you need it most the old faithful of the digital world. However, it seems that at least temporarily there is some material buy pressure out there as the price of BTC surged more than 15% overnight. The candle was green enough and long enough to bring parabolic Trav out of his bear market hibernation. Truly a remarkable feat. Yeah, that really was man. Seeing parabolic Trav, pop back out was actually pretty cool, man. Uh, Continuing on today is a startling reminder of the inherent FOMO and adrenaline rushes that come with big Bitcoin price movements. There's something about it that revs up the animal spirits of those involved. I feel it. I know you freaks feel it. It's unavoidable price action around a truly scarce resource and the reaction to that action is fascinating to watch play out in real time. So on that note, I urge you freaks to resist the urge to make rash decision during during times like this. If you've done your research and believe that Bitcoin is something worth investing in, make a plan to try to stick to it. It's better to be prepared to react with a predetermined plan when a price move like this sneaks up on you. If you're reading this rag for the first time in a few months because you're looking for confirmation on whether or not to buy Bitcoin after proclaiming it dead last year, take a step back and do more research. Final thought, very big wow freestyle type of mood this morning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Marty. Torchlight today is going to kick off with Bruce Fenton holding the torch. Bruce Fenton says the LN torch has been sent to Bitcoin Core Dev at Marco Falke. M-A-R-C-O-F-A-L-K-E. Bitcoin devs work on the on some of the most complex code on earth. All the work they do is given away. Should take note of that, people. Let's read that one more time. All the work they do is given away. 19,945 commits by 616 contributors. To Marco and all the devs of free and open source software, thank you. Hashtag LN Trust Chain. Bruce's sentiments are are spot on, man. Uh, Sometimes we forget about this shit. 20,000 commits. 616 contributors, all for free. Yeah, some of them get paid by various sources now, but especially at the at the clearly at the beginning, nobody was getting paid. And I don't think anybody was getting paid until like a few years back. And if they were, it was like very, very rare. But still to this day, most of the developers working on Bitcoin, not getting paid. They just want to do it. Mission driven, ideologically driven. Or they just want to learn how to do this stuff. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. Most of them are giving their shit away for free. Okay. So keep that in mind the next time we feel, I'll keep it in mind the next time I feel any urge to bitch about Bitcoin. All right. So Marco Falke says, I just received the hashtag LN trust chain. Thanks async underscore co for building the Eclair wallet, a great mobile app which I've been using for almost a year to do all of my lightning transactions. And he references Bruce Fenton's uh, tweet about him giving it to Marco Falk or Marco Falke. Um, it may be Falk. I'm going to say Marco Falk. 
That actually sounds, uh, that sounds like it might be a better pronunciation of Marco's name. If I was butchering your name, Marco, sorry, bro. I can't help it. That's sort of my job nowadays here. Uh, Crypto Rafe uh, apparently was the next torchbearer in line. Crypto Rafe is, uh, let me make sure his Twitter handle, at Crypto Rafe, C-R-Y-P-T-O-R-A-F-E. I have the LN Trust Chain Torch. It's an honor to be one of the bearers. Thank you so much to Marco Falk for trusting it in my hands, and thanks for everyone that has and will be involved. We'll be sending out the torch soon. Awesome experience. Uh, Crypt Sheets says, oh yeah, Crypt Sheets is giving a sort of a, a lowdown on the Lightning Network itself. So uh, I'm, I'm starting to put all that together because Torchlight has just really shined the light on the Lightning Network. I think not more than anything else, but at least as much as everything else. So I think it's like right to kind of drop the, the Lightning stuff in here as well. Uh, metrics of the Lightning Network uh, from Crypt Sheets. Lightning Network growth in the last 30 days, now over 5 million USD in capacity. Node count is up 11.7% to 7,773 nodes. Channel count is up 23.9% to 39,118 nodes. And the network capacity, again, is at $5 million USD, which is an increase of 44% over the last 30 days. There's your torchlight. Your daily train wrecked is brought to you by Inverse Bra or Starbust, as as he's also known by his actual Twitter handle. So if you want to go uh, play with a. Uh, uh, Starbust. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's inverse bra. I, I got that backwards. Inverse bra is the Twitter handle. Uh, Starbust is, I guess, the, the, the moniker or whatever. Anyway, so he picked up. Um, he picked up something from, I guess, Reddit. Uh, he's marked over the uh, user's name and has not given a link to this particular um, thing that was said by whoever said it. Um, for good reason, because. This is pretty. This is pretty hardcore. This is actually probably the most hardcore daily train wreck that I've ever done because it's it's sad. Now keep in mind, it's a Reddit user, and we don't have a link to the thing. We don't know the user's name. Um. So is is the guy just an asshole troll? I don't know. You you guys be the judge. But here it is. It's fucking over. I've lost my life savings. I even invested money that I technically didn't own yet, parentheses, banking on inheritance from my father, in parentheses, but he survived the chemotherapy. The fuck, man. And now I'm in debt from the line of credit I took out I don't even have words for this, and I don't know what to do. Oh, I don't know. Jump off a cliff. You're a horrible human being. Because either way, if this is true, if, if, if the person that wrote this was actually banking on his father dying and not surviving the chemotherapy, then your carbon, the carbon that's in your body, would be better served in my soil instead of walking around you piece of shit. Now, on the other hand, let's say it's a complete joke. And because and I'm I'm going to be leaning on the complete joke side because I can't imagine being a person walking around that would actually think this, but I can think of people that would walk around doing shit like this as a joke. Fuck you. The carbon in your body would be better served feeding the nutrients for the plants in my soil. Either way, you're a douchebag. Plain and simple, man. That's your daily train wrecked. Man, God, I was 
sorry, I stumbled because I'm still coming off of reading that daily train wrecked. That's, well, this, this, it's shit like that, that we need shit like this. From Bad Joke Cat, if a Catholic church is traveling at the speed of light, does it still have mass? A bad joke wrapped in a math word problem. Not bad, not bad. That's like a, that's sort of reaching. That's sort of, I mean, it's, it's definitely reaching for bad joke status, but uh, not bad. I mean, at least it's different, right? ladies and germs i'm out uh you guys have a good rest of your week and uh well i'll just see you on the other side this has been bitcoin and and i'm your host david bennett i hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon have a great day